Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good morning. Uh, This will be a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 15, uh, verse 1, all the way through 21. Then certain individuals came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss the question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. As they, oops, as they had, as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, and reported the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, stood up and said, Is it necessary? It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After, they had been, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up to them and said, My brothers, you know that, that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in the cleansing of cleansing their hearts by faith has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, Why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they they told all the signs and wonders that God had done through through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simon has related, has related how God just looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is, as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen, from its ruins, I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so, so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even after the Gentiles, over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, 
who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Peace be to God. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I am currently serving as the interim pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. Yeah, this is like my third Sunday here, and I'm real excited about it. Um, thank you so much. It takes a church to make church happen. You all showing up, greeting, reading, welcoming, and that's what we do here is be the church together. So will you continue to do that and pray with me? Holy Spirit, fill us in this place that we may be, give us ears to listen, mouths to speak up, and the courage to share authentically with one another so that we may continue to be your church, making decisions and living together in holy conferencing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that was a really long passage, right? Did anybody else find yourselves drifting off a little bit? That's okay. It has nothing to do with how you read Carlos. It was just a really long passage. Let's summarize it a little bit, that the story of God, which had stretched from Jerusalem, reached all the way to Antioch and offered, hope to, of, and offered the hope of God to new people who were Greek, people who were not Jewish, who didn't know the history or the story of faith before. So those in Jerusalem had been hiding behind shutters because they had been threatened by the authorities among them. They remained skeptical of these people who were joyous of God far off in a distant land. They could, how could they be experiencing joy and conversion of hearts and minds and souls? And so Barnabas, one of these early followers, he was one of the first to sell all that he had, the land that had belonged to his father and his father's father and his father's father's father. Barnabas sold everything he had owned and laid it all at the apostles' feet. He was trusted among the apostles. And so the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch. Check out what these newly converted people are doing. Come back and let us know if they're legit. Why the heck is the Holy Spirit so popping over there and she ain't showing up over here? So like a supervisor, Barnabas went to check out this location. And upon arriving and meeting these non-traditional newbie Christians, these people who didn't know the ancient history of how God had worked for generations, realized they were real and authentic. And their conversion experience was true. Despite their lack of ancestral heritage, the people in Antioch, these Gentiles, had heard the story of Jesus and believed. They no longer desired the things of the world, but they desired what God desired for the world. And so Barnabas and his friend Paul, who was a little less trustworthy, came back to report. And so Acts 15 
we read is about this great dispute. It said, what did it say? A little dissension. Let's not, uh, let's like not wipe over that. It was not just a little dissension. It was a huge debate, so much so that historians have labeled it and stamped it into history books, calling it a council, which is just a nice word for a big argument, a big dumpster fire happening in the church. So what happened at the Council of Jerusalem? Did Paul and Barnabas, all riled up, lead this testosterone-filled dissent among church leaders? This dispute, this rough-and-tumble debate about the outcome of who should whip it out and prove their faith or faithful following? Who gets to be a part of this community and who gets left out? Who has to follow these religious rites of passages in order to join the community of God and be included in faith? Because circumcision was a promise between Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all the way to Jesus. It was a sign that the men of faith belonged to God and God belonged to them. It was an act and a rite that happened eight days after the birth of the child. So what happens to these adult people now following Jesus? And also then, uh, I hate to tell you, maybe you already know this, but the Holy Spirit is really popping with the ladies and with the queer people of the community. And there's no way for them to show that their faithfulness, uh, or they have been promised this covenant with God as well. So the representatives of the church gather to decide, decide how to incorporate these new believers in God's ever-growing and expansive community. Do we maintain the old ways of doing things? Do we maintain, grow in new ways? Is there a third way to do all of these things and build new traditions? So the church leaders, remembering their commitment to God and their history with God through Abraham and Isaac and Joseph all the way up to Jesus, debated. Is it better to commit your body and spirit to God? Are some more faithful and less faithful? Are some committed fans and others fair weather? So the council, like a, a vision team or a board of trustees or a council, gets, got together to decide the fate of some people they had never even met. Some people they had little connection with, little contact. And leadership, well, it said it was not, no small descent. They argued, they kicked and they screamed and they stamped their feet. They pled in compassion, asking the leaders to maintain commitment to God and the history of God with their people, but also to include people groups, the church, the unchurched, those bored with church, those over church, those who are church differently, those who are just darn different. And then they voted. And they voted to include all of God's people. That they will be ours and we will be theirs. And so their deliberation set about this great historical precedence called holy conferencing. Now, 
That's not what the Bible refers to it as, but it's the terminology we're going to kind of unpack today because Urban Village Church, you may or may not know, is a part of a larger organization called the United Methodist Church. Amanda referred to it a little bit in her testimony, but it's a larger denomination, a gathering of churches, not only in Chicago, because Urban Village has four sites across the city of Chicago, not just in Chicago, but we have people stretching all the way from England, all the way to Tobago and Trinidad, stretching from Asia and Africa. Africa and Europe and Chicago and Edgewater. And this practice of holy conferencing has been a practice of the United Methodist Church stretching back to the 1700s. And holy conferencing basically means we gather together and have passionate, angry argumentation and deep dialogical debate. And it means that we're not going to give up on each other. It means that we don't walk away. Maybe we walk away angry, but we come back for more holy conferencing because God can handle our anger, God can handle our debate, and God is present in those moments of deep tension and wrestling. Because that is how we come, much like the Council of Jerusalem, to understand God's bigger vision for the world. While God is perfect, we are not able to live out God's perfect vision for the world unless we remain in relationship with each other. And so we gather for holy conferencing, which is actually, let's, what is that? It's actually just the art of sharing and listening and speaking up and demanding that God's love and mercy and justice be lived out in the world. So the Council of Jerusalem did just that. They shared, and they listened, and they spoke up, and they demanded. So since the Council of Jerusalem met in 50 CE, approximately 20 years after Jesus' death, just a short time later, the church was growing so much They practice holy counseling. And then it can also happen in a myriad of ways. So there are what theorists say, two different types of how churches gather. And maybe you grew up in one of these two types. There are the types of churches that gather together and have holy conferencing just in their local community. And they say, we here are going to vote and decide what we are going to do as a church. Your vote matters, your vote counts, and you have a voice here. And those churches are called congregational churches. They live and exist together. And then when they make a decision, they don't have to answer to anybody else. They answer to themselves, the community, because they are each other's and they belong to one another. And lots of congregational churches are like uh, the Baptist church I grew up in, or the United Church of Christ is a congregational church. Then there's another form of churches, and those churches believe that while we are a body here together that makes decisions together as a community, we are each other's, we also belong to this larger organization, and we send delegates, representatives from our community to go and vote on bigger legislation so that we belong not just to each other, we belong to the church down the street, and we belong to the church in Africa, and the church in Trinidad and Tobago. Those are our people. They are ours and we are theirs. And those churches are often called connectional churches because they are connected through this network. It's more like this family that argues and kind of doesn't really like each other but get but shows up every every year for the reunion and still loves each other and still breaks bread together. 
And these connectional churches are a lot like the United Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopalian Church. Connectional churches. And the benefit of being a connectional church is that you are a part of this larger organization. So when Hurricane Harvey struck my home state of Texas and devastated the city of Houston, of which they're still recovering, the first people on the ground were United Methodists. United Methodists who had been invested in and money that had been given from United Methodist churches like ours went and shared food for the hungry and gave water to the thirsty and shelter to those who were now experiencing homelessness. So being a part of a connectional church means we get to share even more. But being a part of a connectional church also has its downsides because we are theirs and they are ours. It means that we also aren't moving as fast as we like. While UVC believes that who you are is important to God, your gender expression, your gender identity, your sexuality are all celebrated here and by God, who you love is who we love. That is what Urban Village Church stands for and always will. But it does mean that other churches in the United Methodist Church have not caught up to the Holy Spirit fire that we got going here. Not everyone in the United Methodist world believes that LGBTQ people have rights. And yet they are still ours and we are theirs. In 2016, the United Methodist Church delegates conferenced together and they debated. It was fierce and it was hot and it was messy. There were protests going on and people taking bread and ripping and tearing and smashing and gnashing their teeth because they wanted people to know that God loves everyone. And you know what they decided in 2016? Absolutely nothing. They were going to wait, defer decision until later. And so in 2019, the delegates will gather again to discuss and deliberate. There will be more weeping and gnashing of teeth, not the kind of hellfire brimstone, but maybe some people think that's what we're, where we're going. But we will also be there pushing our brothers and sisters and non-conforming gender, gender non-conforming siblings to say, God loves all. God is proud. And so we have power in that system because we are theirs and they are ours. But also being a connectional church is really messy because you may or may not know this, but um, our attorney, sta- uh, United States Attorney General, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, the most Southern name you could ever be born with, <laughs> he is ours. We are his. He is a United Methodist. On June 18th, a group of 600 United Methodists got together and filed a complaint, which is actually just like a calling out of one of our siblings of faith to say, what you're doing is not right. We are holding you accountable to God's standards. And you know what? Because we are United Methodists, because we are Jeff Sessions and he is ours, we get to call him out and file a complaint to say, what you do by separating families who are migrating to the U.S. looking for asylum is child abuse. And it's not what God wants for this world. It's messy being in community with others that we differ from. 
There's conflict and tension and anger. And there's also God. Because we are God's and God is ours. So it means there is power. Power in conversation. Power in complaint. Power in debate and fierce dialogue. Being connected means that we have the power to transform, but being connected means we also have to be in authentic relationship with each other because we, being in authentic relationship means we've created this brave space where people can share, where people can be humble enough to listen, where people know that when they speak up, their voice will be heard, or if it's not heard, someone else in the community will amplify it and make sure that it's heard. And so we can do better and be better and make God proud, and keep extending God's radical welcome. That's what being a connectional church means. So the Council of Jerusalem voted. And unlike in 2016, they they voted, they made a good decision, and it stuck. They voted to include all of God's people in God's community. And so we here at Urban Village Church do that as well. All folks are welcome, whether you sing like me and a little off key, or whether you sing beautifully, you can eat at this table too. We don't judge you by the color of your skin or what lies or does not lie between your legs. We don't judge you by who you love or the amount in your bank account or what size jeans you wear or what size body you have. You are welcome and celebrated for who you are in this community because you You have the power with your voice and your listening and your speaking up to change this community and make us more like God wants us to be. So much like the council, we don't exclude new ideas here at Urban Village Church. And we don't call those who speak up regularly annoying and tell them to be silent. But we welcome challenge and questions We are energized by the possibility of revitalization and regeneration, growing of new churches. But that also means that, so there are lots of ways to do this, to do like uh, not so, what was it called in the text? Not so uh, small dissent. There are lots of ways to do this. And some people during dissent or argumentation or conflict, shut down and turn in on themselves. They can't take in all that's going on around them. And then other people, like me, perk up and sit a little bit more forward and listen really intensely. But also, some people like me speak up way too quickly and offer their opinion way too firmly because maybe their opinion's a little bit not so great. And then other people just leave, get the heck out of Dodge. And maybe you're somewhere on that spectrum. But what it means to be a church means that if you're the one who shuts down, we invite you to sit a little bit forward, lean a little bit in, and let us know what you're thinking and feeling. And it will require a lot of you to sit forward and let us know what you're thinking but we need your voice in order to hear God better. And for those of you who are already sitting forward and totally invested and like me, speak up and your ideas are like, (laughs) maybe you don't know your ideas are, but it's okay, we'll let you know. 
It's also an invitation to those who are like me to sit a little bit back, to allow for that brave space to percolate a little bit, and to allow for other people to gain the courage to speak up and to share. It also requires work for, and that's work too, that's a lot of work. And then it also requires work for those of you who just want to jet. When conflict arises, when things get really tense, it requires you to stay in place. And maybe that's all you can do that day. That's work. And that's what it means to be in community. To share, to listen, to speak up, and to remain committed to one another because you are ours. We are yours. Because you are mine and I am yours. I need your voice and your opinions, whether they're eh or really great, I need them in order to be transformed, to better live God's calling in my life. And therefore, we need each other. So, we will continue to claim the identity of being a United Methodist Church. And what happens in 2018 and what the council decides when we will be there fiercely debating, we will always love and promote LGBTQ rights, work for love and mercy and justice in this world. And we will also know and recognize that the Spirit moves in mysterious ways in other churches, and we will continue to push for love and mercy and justice in more ever-expanding places. But we will also remain here with each other, pushing and loving and encouraging one another to share, to speak up, to act, and to listen. Because we need each other. Because I am yours, and you are mine. Will you pray with me? God, we belong to no one else. You are our God, and we are your people. No matter how much Amazon wants to own us, no matter how many Apple products we own, no matter how much Google knows about us, it doesn't matter. We are your people, and you are our God. Give us the courage to listen. Give us the courage to stay. Give us the courage to keep showing up for fierce debate, for loving reproach, and for care. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.